it's very easy to get complacent, I think, in business. Um, you know, you, especially when after you've had a little bit of success, you can just kind of sort of like rest on your laurels. But then, you know, your competition, they're not going to, they don't really sleep. Like they're just going to keep, you know, they're just going to keep, they're going to try to out hustle you. They're going to try to outsmart you. They're going to try to like pay a little, figure out how to pay a little bit more than you. And so that, I think that's just the nature of business, right? It, if it gets too easy, like you're probably, that strategy is not going to last for long. I think it's the nature of business. Like you have to always be improving to, to stay relevant. You are listening to the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show, the podcast dedicated to empowering you to invest for your family's future. Listen in to learn about different strategies successful investors use to live their best lives. Whether you are starting out on your real estate wealth building journey or a seasoned investor looking for the next unfair advantage, this is the show for you. Each conversation will help you be more savvy when it comes to understanding how to leverage real estate to achieve your goals and live an extraordinary life. Your host is none other than seasoned investors and power couple, Jose and Khadija Jafferji, founders of the Savvy Real Estate Group, where we have been helping passive investors grow their wealth and getting them one step closer to financial freedom since 2008. Hey guys, it's Jose and Khadija Jafarji, and we are speaking to Michael Chow today. Michael has been a full-time investor since 2014 who focuses on buying underperforming properties and renovating them to maximize profits. Since he started, he has completed over 50 deals, with the majority of them being residential flips. We have known Michael for several years now, and he was flipping long before it became really sexy to do so, especially in the GTA. He's not a speculative investor and has an ultra-conservative approach to analyzing the numbers, so he's protected from market conditions and unknown during renovations. We also spoke about private money and raising capital, which is something we wish we had heard more about when we were first starting out. We love talking to Michael about so many different facets and struggles that go into being an entrepreneur and the human elements that keep us grounded. Michael's such an authentic, down-to-earth guy, and I think you'll really enjoy what he brings to the conversation. So without further ado, here's Michael. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I have Michael on the show today. Michael, thanks for taking the time to speak to us. We're really looking forward to chatting with you today. So let's get started. Um, Just to start off, I was hoping you could share with us a little bit about yourself, What's your background and what do you do now? Sure. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here, guys. Um, but a little bit about myself. I've been a full-time real estate investor since 2014. I am married with three kids. I live in Hamilton, Ontario. I, I'm a full-time real estate investor. Um, I specialize in buying underperforming properties in the greater Golden Horseshoe and renovating them and flipping them for maximum profit. Yeah. That's awesome. That's uh, a good uh, good recap in a nutshell. I know you're, yeah. <laughs> you're doing a lot more than that, but uh, that, that's a good start. Yeah. So, um, you know, in terms of your business, um, can you tell us a little bit about how long you've been in the industry and, you know, maybe just sort of how you began? Yeah. Um, I started in 2014. So my backstory, my, my, my journey in real estate, I should say, probably began around the time I was eight or nine when I saw uh, one of my uncles 
knock down, buy a house, knock it down, and build a, a, a brand new house. Um, it, you know, I also come from a family of uh, with a lot of men who worked heavily in the trades. My dad was a, a contractor for 27 years. I have two uncles that are general contractors. Um, I have two uncles that are master cabinet makers. I have a cousin who's a general contractor. So I kind of grew up exposed to construction and home renovations. Um, working with my dad as a teenager, I I worked with him many summers as a teenager. I, I saw him frame houses, um, do additions, add levels, finish finish entire interiors, do uh, walkout basements, underpinning, all that kind of stuff. So I was exposed to it from a very young age. So I think I've always... You know, you could say I probably have it in, in my blood, <laughs> like real estate, but li- li- the investing part came later. Right. No, that's that's pretty cool. Uh, having exposure to all of that at a young age, definitely something that uh, we hope inspires our children too. Yeah, it's it's great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I had no idea that was that was your upbringing. Like, obviously, your family helped kind of shaped you, but was that the most important thing that helped your business take off? You mean having a background in renovations? Yes. And just your exposure with the family in terms of being in that environment. Right. Right. It, it played a part for sure. It, it probably gave me a certain level of comfort with renovations. Like, you know, by the time I was 19, I had like pretty much seen everything. <laughs> I've seen like underpinnings like new houses built. My dad, uh, I helped my dad once. Uh, we were f- doing a f- big framing project for a developer and um, he was developing like, I think 30 townhouses or something like that. And we were we were hired to frame uh, 10 of them. So, it, it, you know, like that pretty much like, I think I'd probably seen it all in residential construction by the time. I worked for my uncle as well, who was a general contractor when I was younger. So, it gave me a certain comfort level with renovations. And I think that helped me to propel me into flipping easier than, uh, than it would have had I not had the experience, you know? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of if we were to take a snapshot of you right now, how would you uh, sort of describe your real estate portfolio or what you do? Are you primarily just a flipper or is there anything else that you have going on right now? So I, at one point I had a bunch of rentals. I've I've sold most of them. Um, I only have one rental now, and my primary residence. But um, and the reason I did that was to just focus more on flipping. Um, I really want to. I'm really focused now on growing my flipping company, um, increasing gross profits, um, marketing, sales, and marketing. So I'm I'm very focused on flipping. I would say. Probably 90, 95% of my deals are flips right now. Okay. And what does uh, sort of, what does your business look like right now in terms of, you know, the structure and what is the setup like of your current operation? So it's, it's actually a very small company. It's, it's me and my wife and uh, we have a bunch of contractors and, and, and um, we have people that put up that do marketing for us. Uh, we have a comp- we have like a a, P- a company that helps us with our PPC marketing. Um, we have people like contractors, basically freelance workers that help us put up bandit signs, um, 
but my wife and I pretty much oversee the entire business. Like I, 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 I oversee the the sales and marketing and, and renovations. My wife will list all the properties. Like she's our listing agent. Um, she works in the office, you know, doing bookkeeping and she does like follow up calls with sellers as well. So, but it's a very, it's a very tight, you know, knit operation right at the moment. Nice. So, you know, would you say that your contractor is kind of in-house working on your projects from Mm -hmm. one job to another, or is it mostly subbed out? Yeah. Great question. We, I have, I have a main crew and, uh, my foreman, he has a background in carpentry. He used to work in a union as a framer for a few years. And um, my main crew is about is three to four guys, and they do everything from demo, framing, um, flooring, um, finished carpentry, kitchens. They install kitchens, um, landscaping, concrete, uh, decks and fences, everything else, everything in between we just sub out. Like tiling, we'll sub out all the specialty work. HVAC, plumbing, electrical, we'll sub out. Roofing, we'll sub out. Windows and doors, we'll sometimes sub out. If it's just like a couple of windows or a couple of doors, then you know my my crew can do it. Yeah, I know that um, you know working with contractors is not always fun, and so taking this in house <laughs> was it a strategic reason to gain more control over, I guess the the quality and and the timing um, like how has this been an advantage for you well technically they're not in-house technically you know my foreman and his crew they're still subcontractors but you know we have an, an agreement that they're, i'm going to keep him busy and you know i always try to keep him booked out for at least three months so if he's booked out for less than three months then i know i need to buy another house um, but I usually have him booked out for like a few months in advance. So like he just works for me. He doesn't work for anyone else. Right. So I had a question for you where, uh, you know, as you know, we also do a lot of renovations ourselves. Do you yep. have a specific geographical area that you focus on or are you willing to work over a large geographical span? Like how, what's your, what's your area like? And I guess the reason I asked that is just tying back into the contractors and how you manage all of that. Yeah, that's a great question. So for me, everyone's different. Um, I'm trying to stay within two hours drive from home. So I live in Hamilton. So I try not to go further than that because I do need to check on the job. I do need to go out to the job site to to inspect and confirm things. Um, So I don't want to be too far away from home. I have three little kids at home, so I try to be within two hours from home. It really just comes down to like your personal preference. are you able to find contractors if you're going even further away, right? Um, my crew, they're willing to go like um, to Belleville, as far as far east as Belleville and as far west as um, Niagara Falls. So I, I usually don't have to worry about like about them, you know, if they're willing to. If I find a house within two hours of Hamilton, like I'm pretty sure they'll, you know, they'll they'll take it on. Yeah. Yeah, and so so what about? If you have multiple jobs going at once, then you're just basically getting other contractors in that location, right? Yeah, good question. Very good question. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm really big on efficiency and maximizing my crew's utility. So let's say I have, like right now is a good example. I have three flips on the go, right? I have one in Belleville, uh, one in Grimsby, and another one where's that one? in Hamilton. <laughs> and... I, I still just have one crew 
the reason I can do that is because, you know, Sean doesn't do everything. Like he does carpentry. He he does he'll do the framing, right? And then um, he'll go to another house because now, like, I've got to I got to do the rough HVAC, plumbing, electrical. So he'll go to another house. Like he'll go from that first house to another house, and maybe he'll do uh, landscaping at that other house, or he'll do demo at that other house. So I try to keep him. Uh, I, I always have a primary flip and I have a secondary for him. So he's always, he can always like bounce around. Right. And then when that primary sells, you know, like now that secondary becomes a new primary and the third property becomes the new secondary. So I'm able to keep him busy just like, you know, going from house to house. I think that's better than trying to get two crews because I think sometimes what you'll find is you have two, two crews. I've, I did, I've done this in the past. It, it's, it can get quite hard to keep two crews very busy, like busy, year round, right? I find it's much easier to keep one good crew busy and I can still get my flips done in a reasonable amount of time. Right. So what's your typical volume uh, in terms of how many jobs you would have on the go at any particular time? Is three sort of uh, a busy load for you or it does it get busier than that? I don't try to take on too much. Um, I would say any, at any given time, probably three to four like including things we have on your contract and, and things that are on market for sale, I would say it's like a pretty typical number for us. Like right now we have um, two that are set to close and we have three that are in rehab. So right now it's five, but I think, you know, like three to four or five is pretty typical for us. Okay, nice. And and what would you say is your typical turnaround time, like from closing to closing? Is it roughly on five, six months? Right. It depends on the rehab, Jose. Like you, you know this too, right? You're an experienced flipper. It depends on is it a 50k rehab? Is it a um, 100k rehab? 150k rehab? I would say oh, it, it ranges. It it probably ranges from three to seven months, closing to closing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess it depends on the the scope of the work and and you know sometimes. The, if it's uh, like permits involved or not. Yep. <laughs> yep. I, I just sold a flip in, in Scarborough um, about a month ago. And that, that took uh, over a year. It actually took, um, it will take, by the time it closes, it will take 17 months. Um, but we were waiting for permits for around nine months of the 17 months. So, you know, there you go. Sometimes it's just, it's just we're, Pick, you pick the best possible year to have delays. Yeah, I got very lucky. I got very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't skill. That was definitely luck. <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> yeah, he, we we had that, you know, 20, 30% appreciation now over the last uh, 12 months. So that's definitely been a, a big yep. bonus for most of the flippers out there. Oh yeah, we definitely made more than we we thought we would on that one too. Yeah, it was totally worth waiting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So so since Jose brought up this appreciation topic, as a flipper, and we know this as flippers too, we have to mitigate mitigate our risk in the market and changes in the market. Uh, how do you? What's your personal philosophy, business philosophy on that? How do you make sure that you know? with all the fluctuations, I mean, right now we're on a good upturn, but historically there's always downturns or, or things that change in the market. How do you navigate that? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think, um, 
I've seen a, I've seen a few flippers come and go uh, since I've been in the business. Um, I think it's very easy to lose money if you're not careful. Um, I'll, let me start by saying, I think whether the market's going up or going down, you should you should always when you run your numbers, you should always look at today's prices and not anticipate that prices will go up in you know three months and 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 bank on a high even higher sale price than what the current prices are telling you, right? So don't don't be a speculator. Number one, um, number two, don't be at the same time. Don't be conservative, right? If you're conservative, you're going to lose deals. If you, if the ARV is 600 today, then don't be conservative and say, well, let's just say the ARV is at 580, uh, and I'm going to put it at 580, and hopefully I'll get this deal. Then that's that's a sure way to lose deals. But how you, I think how you can protect yourself is um, learn how to run your number, learn how to comp properly, properly. Um, learn how to estimate repairs properly. Um, if you don't know how, then maybe maybe work with a GC or someone who's experienced in that department until you until you kind of get your chops up. That would be my advice. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I I know you've been doing doing this for many years now. And was what's what would you say is the most important thing that helped your business take off? The most important thing and achieve that growth every year. That's a great question. Uh, I I think having a coach made a huge difference. <laughs> I still have a business coach to this day, who's a who's a um, you know, full time flipper. So getting coaching, getting mentoring, um, masterminding helps. I think masterminding with other other like minded people. Yeah, I've been a part of a couple of masterminds, and um, you know they, they, I've learned a lot from the people in the groups. Yeah. Even though you're experienced, you still continue to get mentorship and get coaching. And, you know, there's always that next level that I guess everyone's trying to achieve, right? Absolutely. There's always, like, you can't, it's very easy to get complacent, I think, in business. Um, you know, you, especially when, after you've had a little bit of success, you can just kind of sort of like rest on your laurels. But then, you know, your competition, they're not going to, they don't, they don't really sleep. Like they're just going to keep, you know, um, they're just going to keep, they're going to try to out hustle you. They're going to try to outsmart you. They're going to try to like pay a little, figure out how to pay a little bit more than you. And so that, I think that's just the nature of business, right? It's, 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 um, if it gets too easy, like you're probably, um, <laughs> you're probably that, that strategy is not going to last for long. You know what I mean? I think it just. I think it's the nature of business. Like you have to always be improving to to stay relevant. Yeah, for sure. So, Mike, I mean, going Michael, going back to that, what would you say keeps you motivated? It's something that we struggle with too. I think all entrepreneurs and business owners struggle with the highs and lows, right? Uh, having those highs and then uh, sometimes like you said, becoming a bit complacent. And uh, what would you say helps keep you focused and motivated to continue onwards and, and continue with your growth? I'm a big believer in setting goals. And I think a big part of setting goals is knowing why you want to have this goal. Why do you, why do you want to make, you know, $10 million or why do you want to be, um, why do you want to have like 15% body fat? Why do you want to do this? Like, you know, I think it goes back to your why and why, why are you doing what you're doing? 
for me, I want to have, you know, financial freedom. Um, I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to experience new and different things with my family. I want to be able to provide for my family. Um, you know, I want to be in good shape so I can um, live right to a, to a very old age, and I can I can actually <laughs> achieve all these goals before I kick the bucket. You know what I mean? So that's kind of why um, I want to stay in shape. So it just goes back to like what your whys are, and if you don't know what they are, maybe sit down and you know write them down. Write down some goals. Write down what you want to achieve in your life. And I think once you start asking yourself, well, why do I want this? Why do I want this? And you'll eventually find out like what your motivation is. Right. Oh, well said. Yeah, definitely. Well said. We we were just smiling at each other, sort of resonating with what you're saying, right? Because uh, uh, we definitely can relate. Definitely, right? I think I think Brian Tracy says this too in one of his books. Like people who set goals, like the, they on average make ten times more income than people that don't. You know, just that simple act of setting goals, you know. And I've heard other people say the same thing. You know, it's it, it makes a big difference. Because, like, if you don't set goals, if you don't, like, look at why you're doing what you're doing, then you're kind of like um, a sailboat with no compass and, and rudder. <laughs> you know, you kind of just end up where you end up. But if you know where you're going, then you kind of just, like, you just, it's A to B, right? Like, this is what I need to do to get there. <laughs> For sure. No, we're going to have to write that one down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sailboat with no compass. That's good. So... If we were to look at 2021 and moving, I mean, we're halfway through the year almost and moving into 2022, what would you say you're most excited about this year in terms of, you know, your business and, and even just your life? I, whew. yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's a bit hard to say with, with COVID and, um, uh, you know, it is, it is very much a seller's market right now. Uh, it's very hard to get deals right now. Um, that being said, I think I'm, I'm very excited to just keep doing what I'm doing and, you know, hopefully get into, move into bigger, bigger deals and hopefully, um, who knows, maybe, maybe even move into, um, new construction, you know, like flipping luxury homes, who knows? I don't know. <laughs> My wife and I haven't talked about that for 2021, but, you know, it's something we, we've talked about in the past and we, you know, if, 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 uh, if it makes sense to do that, then yeah, we'll definitely do that. But otherwise, I'm, I'm I'm very happy just to to keep flipping, to keep you know making a good living flipping, and um, and I enjoy it too. I, I enjoy like transforming like a really ugly house into like something I'm proud of, and you know the buyers are extremely happy with you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know for sure. And, and so, Michael, what would you say is the one thing you know if you had to remove from your life has made you more productive? and more effective in, in your business? Hmm. That I had to remove from my life. Yeah. Like, you know, is it, hmm. it could be some negative people or sometimes you can say social yeah. media. I think it's me. I think it's me. <laughs> I have to, I have to sort of flip myself. If, if that makes sense, <laughs> I have to, uh, develop the right mindset, you know, that I'm a leader, that I'm a business owner, I'm a leader, I'm somebody, uh, I have to strive every day to become that person that 
you know, construction crew that would want to work for long term that a seller, if they met me and spoke to me for five minutes, they would be, they would, they would like me enough that they would want to tell me about their house and their situation and maybe even sell their house to me. So I think it's, but, it, but, you know, people can sometimes have mental issues. Sometimes people can have mental blocks. People can have like, you know, they can be projecting their fears and, and things on other people. And, um, that can definitely get in the way. So I think, you know, just kind of like, like I, I was also, you know, like getting a lot of help from a therapist. Um, uh, I still, I still, you know, I still uh, talk to therapists and it made a big difference for me. I think just getting your your mind right. You know what I mean? Like getting rid of all that garbage, that, that, that baggage, you know, like that, that, I, that, that I was carrying around. <laughs> No, tell me, tell me more about the the therapist part. Uh, was this just to develop a better mindset? I think it was. It was. It's 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 helped me in a lot of ways. I think it's helped me to stop projecting my fears and insecurities on other people. It's helped me to be um, a better relation, become a better relationship builder. It's helped me to understand myself better, understand like where my fears come from um, and how they manifest in my current life and how I can, what I can do now. Right. Like, you know, my, you know, my therapist gave me some strategies to deal with, you know, those things now in present time. So I think, I think it's very helpful, you know? No, oh, that's awesome. I mean, you know, that's something I, I can admit myself that I sometimes struggle with. I think everybody struggles with it. I mean, I think the key is though, like, uh, you're not alone, you know, to know that you're not alone and, and you can def there's definitely help out there, you know, and you don't have to be like somebody who's like crazy or borderline suicidal to talk to a therapist. I think it helps, you know, even if you're just like kind of, uh, going through some mild anxiety or some, you know, some stress work related stress or, you know, like difficulty with, you know, relationships, you know, like, I think it helps in all of those cases. Yeah. And what Jose was saying about social media, sometimes, uh, you know, as especially when you're self-employed or you're an entrepreneur and you're on social media mm. and you're seeing people <laughs> mostly post about all their successes, right? So it, it can feel isolating sometimes just with respect to business, especially that, Hey, like, you know, I'm having these lows or I'm having these hard times. And, um, it, it, you're right. It's, it's good to know that you're not alone. And, and, and I think talking to a therapist is something everybody can benefit from actually. I think so. Um, it's good to have someone to talk to that you can, you know, you feel safe around. They're not going to judge you. They're just going to like, they're going to try their best to understand you and give you some strategies, you know, to help you. Yeah, absolutely. So, Maybe we can sort of take it back a little bit to the technical side of your deals. Um, wanted to ask you, uh, maybe you can talk to us about a specific deal you're working on right now and uh, walk us through what the numbers look like on it, if you don't mind sharing. No, I don't mind. Okay. So this is a bungalow in Grimsby. We bought it for $490. we are going to put about $110K into it. Um, we need to put a new roof on, um, new windows in the basement or, uh, enlarging a couple of the windows in the basement, adding a couple more windows in the basement, um, new interiors, um, landscaping, uh, a, a side deck fence, fencing in the backyard. So 
Yeah, bought it for four ninety, looking to spend around one hundred and ten, and ARVs around seven fifty. Wow. So it'll probably gross around ninety eight k. And this is not a this is not a second suite or anything, right? No, single family, single family. Single family. Wow. Yeah. And approximately uh, on a deal like this, uh, what would you say is your timeline from start to finish? This will probably take around six months. Yeah, that's good. Um, I might get it done in a little bit less time, but we'll see. Yeah, especially now with the closure of Home Depot and uh, materials and all the rest of the stuff we're dealing with in construction, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of one of my uh, one of the guys on my crew tested positive for COVID, so. I just found out today, not the foreman, but somebody who works for the foreman. <laughs> and uh, my foreman has to get tested now. And if he tests positive, then we're pretty much, you know, he's going to be off for two weeks. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, hopefully six months. Yeah, hopefully. Maybe a bit, long, <laughs> maybe a bit longer. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. I mean, you know, it's only two These weeks. are the new struggles in uh, the COVID age. So what do you think you'll be making uh, profit-wise on that deal? On that deal? If we can get it done in six months, it would be around 93 gross profit. 93,000 gross profit. Yeah. That's, that's, that's with today's ARV. So I don't know. When we, when we go to sell it, it might the ARV might be a little bit higher. Hopefully it's not lower. <laughs> but again, that's like, you know, that's today's ARV, 750K. Yeah, 93 gross profit. Awesome. That's after everything, right? All taxes, utilities, insurance, realtor commissions, land transfer, legal fees, everything, interest costs. Right. So your net, sort of your net profit. Yeah. Yeah. Like net on the deal, I, I call it, you know, or gross profit because, you know, there's a little bit of overhead, right? That goes yes, into every yes. every deal, like marketing, right? There's probably like a... Yeah. This one we got a PPC. Yeah, it's probably like three or four thousand dollar marketing fee in there for PPC. Okay. So maybe ninety net. So speaking of that, uh, what do you think is the average cost per deal or cost per yeah cost per contract signed? Yeah, um, it depends on the lead source. PPC right now is, is is actually getting more and more expensive. Uh, PPC I'm seeing it's it's running around five to eight k a deal, um, but you're you know you're you're kind of you're selling for more on the back end, right? Like I've seen a lot of people, a lot of flippers sell for more on the back end now. So like I see some people that are making double on every deal, right? You know, like they were making forty fifty k a deal a year ago, and now they're making like 80, 80 90, 100 k a deal. So. Um, PPC cost has gone up, so it's around five to eight k, I think. Um, Bandit sign costs uh, are generally a bit lower. Um, my Hamilton deal was from Bandit Signs, and uh, I think that was like nine hundred dollars in Bandit Signs. Yeah, but then I've, I've since put out like <laughs> I've spent since spent around three thousand dollars in Bandit Signs, and I haven't gotten a new Bandit Sign deal yet. So, you know, <laughs> the next Bandit Sign deal will probably cost cost me four, five, six, seven thousand dollars. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is a bit, it's a bit of a wild ride out there, right? With the uh, unpredictability in marketing sometimes. Yeah, yeah. $900 is probably not a fair assessment because like you kind of have to look at it over a longer period of time or like at least a year, right? To see what the, the true average is, right? Right. So the other question we had for you, and I think a lot of people in real estate 
are stuck because of funds. Money always seems to be one of the stumbling blocks mm-hmm. in terms of access to capital, raising capital. Can you tell us a little bit about how you fund your deals and how you go about raising capital for your deals? Yeah, I, I find my flips uh, through 100% private money. And I always deal directly with my lenders. I don't use brokers. Um, I've just been able to develop relationships with a lot of people over the years. I've started using private money uh, in late 2017, early 27, sorry, late 2016, early 2017. And um, I've just been able to just do, keep good relationships with my lenders. Like when I have a deal come up, I give them a call, I let them know. I send them an email with with all the uh, the comps, with the p- pictures, and you know videos of the property. I let them know what I'm asking for, roughly how long I need the money for, and um, you know, I, and then they usually like let me know, hey, I have the money or I don't have the money, and um, I'm usually able to get it from all the money I need for a deal from like one to three lenders. I, I sometimes syndicate lenders on a deal to make it easier for some people who, who only have like 150k or you know 100k even to get in the deal like i would syndicate their 100k with somebody else who has 200 maybe even a third person with another 200 and make the deal happen right they would fund the purchase and the rehab and and they're very happy you know to be able to get like eight ten twelve percent on their money you know backed by real estate and in some cases they get monthly payments right like they're not going to get that from stocks or you know from the bank or anywhere else so right yeah i know it definitely makes sense and yeah so uh you're you're typically funding uh these deals through private lenders would you say that these are people that you know or are you doing any kind of social media marketing how have you come up with this list of of lenders that are able to fund your projects some of my lenders have um met me found out about me through Facebook, like they saw me post something on Facebook. Um, some people I've met from mortgage brokers, uh, and the mortgage broker, you know, saw me post something on Facebook, <laughs> and they told their friend about me. This is funny because even you know, the mortgage broker, he's supposed to be brokering funds to me, but he referred. I told him like I, I prefer to deal directly with my lenders, and he just, so he just referred <laughs> the lender to me. That happened once. Um, yeah. Like even my mom lent me money today because she's got some money sitting around doing nothing. So, you know, I pay her a good interest rate. She's happy to lend me money. Um, just just talking to everybody you come into contact with, really, you know, letting people know like you can you can offer the service. I think it's 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 a it's a great service for a lot of people with money and don't know what to do with it, you know, or just sitting around in a bank getting no interest. Yeah, I think, you know, like I would say about five years ago, I had no idea about the private lending world. And, and you know, I, I would probably have done more deals if I knew that that kind of capital was available and the flexibility with the private money, you know, not going through all these bank approvals and all that, could have done a lot more projects. And I, it's kind of like almost absolutely under, under marketed um, from a, um, mortgage broker perspective, I would say, or just private lender yep. was, you know, has kind of wasn't as popular or maybe just I wasn't aware of it back then. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I know, right. It's one of those things, right. You don't really hear about it a lot. Um, 
we probably heard a lot more about it in the last five five years or so um, through social media, maybe. But I think it's always been around. Um, however, I didn't know about it either when I first started flipping. You know, I, I first I learned about it from my first mastermind, and it was a mastermind with like a, like American flippers only. I was yeah. like like the only Canadian in the group at the time. That was back in uh, 2016. You know, that's when I first heard about it. So you're right. I you, I didn't hear about it at all in Canada. I didn't even know it existed. <laughs> yeah, I think you might have been one of the like one of the first guys here implementing some of the strategies because up until recently, not too many people in Canada were doing this. So, yep. I mean, how has the the increased awareness and the increased competition um, impacted you? Would you say? I mean, I I probably just had my most profitable year ever. You know, so. I, I don't think it's really impacted me. I think you just got to keep going when, when, when flipping, you just got to keep going and just, you know, have faith in yourself that you'll get better every year. Every year you'll get better at finding deals, talking to sellers at, at rehabbing, um, at working with contractors and just keep going. I think that that's probably the biggest thing I've learned from my coach is like, you just got to keep going, you know, keep getting better. Um, it's very tempting sometimes, you know, like when uh, you lose money on a deal or a contractor walks off on you or, you know, you don't sell the house for what you want, want what you wanted. Um, it's very tempting to quit. But I think, you know, I've seen, I've met enough, other, I've met enough flippers now to know the people that have been in the game longer than me, um, you know, from talking to them, like I know, like you can make a lot of money flipping. You just got to keep stick with it, you know. You just got to keep getting better. For sure. But it, I mean, as, as you have talked about in, in, in all the things you've shared so far, it's definitely a skill and it's definitely something that you have to work on and it's definitely a profession yeah. or sort of an industry of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you know, you're a professional flipper. There's a difference between flipping and being a professional flipper. Yeah, there is. That's true. That's true. Um, I'm not gonna lie, it's not a t- not an easy business. Like you are involved in, you know, especially in the beginning, like you're involved with sales, marketing, construction, um, raising money, right? Analyzing deals. You need someone if you don't have a access to MLS, you probably need to work with an agent to give you comps, right? So you can get an ARV for your property. And sometimes you don't even know if the ARV is accurate because your investor may not be an agent or a flipper themselves, right? So yeah, there are a lot of variables. I think. The key is just to keep going, really. Like I said before, you just you get better by by doing it, right? And, and you will make mistakes, but every time you make a mistake, you learn something, right? And you'll be smarter for it. So um, let me ask you, what, you know, with all the profits that you make from your from your flipping business, um, besides reinvesting some of those profits, what do you do with uh, with the excess cash? Is it, you know? It's <laughs> good, good question. Uh, we're, my wife and I are looking to buy a bigger home soon. <laughs> um, but everything I, I've been looking at lately is like two million dollars plus. But we'll see. Maybe we'll buy a new home. Um, we do. We do like to have a, a, a significant cash reserve in our account for 
just to, to make sure we're, we're good in case we need to close on a house ourselves or, you know, fund a rent, fund a hundred K renovation ourselves or, or whatever, like, you know, pay for marketing for the next six months. Um, we do also use some of the cash to fund part of the deals. Like for example, I bought a house recently in Belleville. It was like four thirty-five purchase, but we only got 400 from the lenders cause that's what they had. And, uh, I was like, you know what? That's fine. I'll just put in the 35k extra and closing costs I'll cover and the renovation I'll cover, right? And I just I just make more profit. So instead of paying them, you know, like 12% interest or 10% interest, I would just make that as extra profit by using my own money. It makes it a little bit easier for us to get into deals too. I think you know, and kind of you know, I, I can go to sleep at night knowing I have a nice cushion. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we do this for peace of mind, right? And uh, when our <laughs> bank account is just marginal, it, it it brings a sense of, I mean, it, it's not peace of mind. Yep. Yep. You have to understand too, like when I use my own money on a deal, like I'm usually getting like much higher return than I would if I was getting putting it into a rental. Like, um, you want me to talk about that a little bit? or? or? Sure. Yeah. So like when I put money into a deal, um, let's say I'm, I'm putting, um, a hundred K into a deal, right. And it's for six months. Right. And in that six months I make around, uh, another, I make, I make a hundred K. So it's like a hundred percent return, right. On my cash. Right. Um, but a lot of times what I'll do is I will put like, I, like the lenders will pay for the purchase price and the renovation. And I'm just putting in the closing costs, the carrying costs. Right. And that might be 30 K, you know, 40 K. So now I'm, if I put in 40 K and I make, uh, let's say over a hundred K over 12 months, like now my return is like 250% a year, right. Cash on cash. Right. So, I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm getting better returns in rentals, right? Like not have to deal with tenants and you know stuff like that, property managers. And, and I mean, there's, there's definitely a place for rentals. I'm definitely you know um, considering rentals uh, to put some of the money into rentals in the future. But for now, it's just I'm just you know happy doing flipping. Right, focusing on the growth of one one key core business. Yeah. Yeah. My wife does not like rentals for some reasons. I actually love rentals. I love dealing with tenants. I love helping tenants solve problems and stuff like that. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know why. <laughs> I, guess the, I guess, is it the property management side? <laughs> that is, because that, that's what deters most investors, right? Is dealing with tenants is, you know, never anybody's um, motivating factor for going in, you know, buying rentals. Yeah, like, um, yeah, like some people just don't like to deal with tenants, right? Um, I don't mind it, but yeah, like I said, my wife is not crazy about rentals either. She'd rather be like flipping, get the cash, maybe even like lend some of the money in the future, but she likes like cash now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's definitely rent. Uh, the rental business is not a, a people who think they're going to live off the cash flow. It's a a grave misconception in my opinion. I, I not to say that there's not certain opinion, there's not certain strategies where you can get high cash flow, right. but it is more of a long-term play getting into the rental business. It's a long-term play, right? And you make your money when you sell or when you refinance, right? Typically. Exactly. So 
Yeah. So we had um, one more question for you um, as we sort of geared towards the end of our, our time. And that was, uh, what's the one quote or saying that you live by that has helped you succeed in your business or your life? And, and you know, putting you on the spot oh. here, you can take a second to get through. But, <laughs> there's so uh, many. Oh, there's so many. This, it probably changes every month, every week, maybe, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick one? You can you can pick two. Hey, you know, there's no rules here. <laughs> uh. Whew. Well, I just believe in yourself and keep going. Don't give up. I don't know who said that first, but, you know, <laughs> I think I live by that, you know, because in business, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. No doubt about it. Like every day is those new challenges, you know, new sellers you got to deal with, uh, issues that come up with the rehab. Um, you just got to be able to, you know, like keep everything in perspective. Like, you know, this is why I'm doing this and, um, looking back on your past successes also helps like looking back on where you've won, where you've, um, improved, where you've grown as a leader, you know, that I, I find that that's very motivating for me. It keeps me going. And of course my family, my wife, you know, I'm making sure I'm trying to create the ideal lifestyle for all of us. So, you know, that, that keeps me very motivated too. Was that a quote? <laughs> that might not have been a quote. Nice. I, I had a final question for you as well. Uh, no, it's it's like I'm a big reader and I think you are as well. You know, has there been any recent books or even stuff that you've read in the past that have created that major mind shift, mindset shift that, you know, that has impacted your life and your business? Oh, yeah. Um, right now I'm reading Brian Tracy, No Excuses. That's a, that's an awesome book. It's all about self-discipline. Nice. That's a really good book. Yeah, I love Brian Tracy. I'm a big fan. Yeah. Uh, Jim Rohn, he writes a lot of good stuff. Um, but, you know, it's also like applying what you learn too, right? You know, there's so many things, so many different information sources now. Um, the info is not like... There's no lack of supply of info, right? There's a lack of supply of execution, I think, you know, like if you just applied like 10% of what, you know, this guy's saying in this book, you'd be, you'd be doing way better, right? Like maybe, you know, so it's every, it's all about like what you apply, how, the execution, I think that's the hard part that, that, that's the work of like, you know, a business owner, I think like execution, getting things done. Exactly. If, I mean, Everybody would be a millionaire if they just have to read something and not apply it, right? Yeah, right. Like, I, yeah, exactly, exactly. Like, talk is cheap, right? <laughs> like, like the saying goes, "Talk is cheap." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, it, it was it was so nice to talk to you today. I just wanted to, uh, before we end off, I wanted you to. Um, sort of give us some information about how people can contact you if they had any questions, if they wanted to reach out. Are you on Facebook, Instagram, anything like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm on Facebook. Um, I'm pretty active on Facebook. Um, I can give you my email too if anybody wants to email me, has any questions. For sure. We can add them to the show notes and people can definitely okay, cool. reach out. Cool. So, yeah, I'm happy to answer any questions people have. 
Yeah. So awesome. thank you so much for your time. Thanks for sharing your your knowledge and your experience on our show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are doing pretty well for yourself too. I'm 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 excited to see your progress, Jose. You, you're like killing it. You're buying you're buying like so many yeah. apartment buildings, making me jealous. <laughs> <laughs> making me jealous, not my wife. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Savvy Real Estate Investor Show. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If you liked this episode, please write a review and share it with us. We are getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase how investors at any level can start using and leverage real estate to become savvy wealth builders. If you want to learn more about how we can potentially help you create more passive income and build your wealth faster, go to www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. Once again, it's www.savvyrealestateinvestor.com. All right, that's a wrap. We can't wait to hang out with you on the next episode.